Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. If you're just joining us for the first time, it's an honest and sometimes raw look at addiction and recovery. I'm Randall Carlisle, and my co-host is Rachel Santizo. And Rachel is famous for wearing a different T-shirt every single day that has a message on it. Uh, you've got to run out of shirts sometime, but tell us about what you're wearing today. Today, I'm representing Ruth Ginsburg, and she was a huge advocate for women's rights and gender equality, so I felt it was appropriate to she, definitely. She passed something. away recently, and she made such a mark on the U.S. Supreme Court as a liberal justice and fighting for a lot of the things we believe in uh, at Odyssey House. So, and she was the second female. So, hey, yeah. I have I have a way that we could we could you and I could have a lot more fun doing these podcasts. Mm -hmm. There was a story yesterday that came out that says podcast studios are now a Las Vegas attraction. Win Resorts announced that it's investing $3.5 million in, uh, that will include building out a podcasting studio in the Wynn Las Vegas lobby. Maybe we should reach out to them, see what it is. Well, can you imagine being in a glass enclosed booth in the lobby of a giant Las <laughs> Vegas hotel? It would, sort of, it would sort of go against the grain of what we're talking about, sobriety and recovery and everything, but... Or would it? It would actually show that that rawness as to what happens when you're yeah. an actor. Yeah, this is how it all started, folks. Look out here. These people that are going to be me. seeking recovery. <laughs> By the way, you can uh, you can catch the podcast visually on YouTube and and the audio version of it on uh, what uh, iHeart, Spotify, iTunes, any anywhere you get good podcasts. And we're one of the most watched podcast with thousands of hits every week, uh, thanks to some of the guests that we have, because uh, it, it's just fun and, and, and educational hearing stories of people who, who were in the depths of addiction and are now recovered. And I think it gives hope, to, and, and what we hope is that it gives hope to everyone, right? Right, and it really is actually all, um, give it all to our guests right it's their stories and their vulnerability that makes this show um successful so yeah it's it's not your t-shirt and it's not my charming personality right mm, well, well maybe when it comes to me maybe a little bit <laughs> but... all right we have a great guest today that you and i both know and have known for a long time and his name is aj colette are you there aj hey guys how you doing Good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, usually when we have people on, they have a story of their, of their, you, I hate to generalize, but your bad days and your good days. And I've only known you as a good guy, but, but it hasn't always been that way, has it? Well, I like to think today that I'm uh, inherently good and that people are inherently good, okay. uh, but I, I made bad choices and I, uh, okay. um, destroyed my life by fire uh once upon a time yes can you can you tell us about that um well uh so essentially i mean you want me to just tell my story here Is that sure what sure so i was born to a teenage deaf mother um in uh, los angeles california um she didn't know like 
she knew who my father was, but he wasn't stepping up to uh, be a part of my life. And so she accused him of, of um, hurting her and, and therefore uh, conceiving me. Um, so I was kind of born into this drama, right? Um, uh, but I was also born into a Christian home, uh, a devout Christian home. And so I spent the first four years of my life with my mother um, in a Christian home, being mostly raised by my grandparents. Um, when I was four, uh, my mom met this guy and she fell in love with him. Um, at this point, my mom's like, I don't know, I think she was 22 or 21. Um, and she fell in love with this guy uh, who was also deaf. Um, so sign language is my first language. Uh, um, he was deaf and he was from Israel, but he wasn't a practicing Jew. Like his, when they met, like they would go to clubs and they would do things. Um, and uh, they decided to get married because she got pregnant with my sister. Well, as soon as they got married, like the tables turned. Um, Orthodox Judaism became the thing, um, you know, uh, because my mom and him were married, I was forced to convert to Judaism. Uh, my name was changed uh, overnight uh, from AJ to David because he felt that AJ was a Christian name and there should be no elements of Christianity to me. Uh, and so he essentially wiped out my identity um, by age four, you know, what identity I did have. And so uh, this went on for 10 years. Over the course, course of 10 years, uh, we were Sephardic, Orthodox, Jew, Jewish. Uh, we ate kosher, no meat and milk on the same plate, uh, going to temple um, on weekends and, and on high holidays. Uh, you know, uh, Friday through Saturday night, you couldn't turn the TV on or drive a car or do laundry. Uh, all the food had to be pre-cooked because it was the Sabbath, right? And so all, there was all these elements um, that came into play. Uh, I, w I was enrolled in a private Jewish school and I didn't want to be there. Um, so I began to act out uh, and, and I was acting out all the time. Uh, a, a story that I remember was in third grade. Uh, I was called up to the chalkboard. And uh, when I got up there, I looked back and I saw the teacher's purse uh, and there was cash in it and I stole it, right? Um, to go buy snacks out of the vending machine. In third grade? Yeah, in third grade, yeah. Jeez. Um, so I got caught uh, and I got expelled in the third grade from the school um, and, and it was this thing that's like source of so much shame for my former stepdad right like that I, I, I shamed him and I embarrassed him in the family uh, I brought shame upon the family that's like a big thing in that culture um, and I was a young kid and like so that got really really deeply ingrained in me um, yet somehow in all this I really just wanted his love and um, I wanted um, to respect him because I didn't have a father figure so even though he tormented me um, I still just wanted to to uh, make him happy. Uh, I was expelled for like a month and my mom tried to put me in a, um, you know, a public elementary school. Uh, we were living in uh, North Hollywood at the time and uh, he wouldn't have it because that would bring more shame to the family because I was a Jewish boy going to a Christian school and, and they couldn't watch me there. And who knows if I would eat kosher there or if I would break the rules, um, which I would have. Um, and so he went back to the, to, the, to the elementary school, the private one, and basically begged and pleaded with the rabbi to let me come back. Um, and the rabbi let me come back on one condition that I have a psychiatric evaluation and receive medication. So within a week, um, I'm seeing some doctor in Santa Monica that was on our HMO insurance and he's got me a prescription for Adderall and Ritalin. Um, and th this, these were the terms and conditions for me to return to school in the third grade. Um, if you look at my, I wish I had him here today, but if you look at my school photos, my annual school photos from third grade to like sixth grade, there's like a dramatic weight loss difference. Um, my eyes are black and I was just 
unhappy, right? Because I was on drugs. I was essentially on meth. Um, um, and so, and it, it, the other thing was that, like the whole school knew because they made a big deal about, the teachers would make a big deal about go get your medication. And I was the only one that got medication because no one else did, right? So I was abnormal and, and I stood out. Um, at age 13, uh, my, at this point, I had a little brother that was born and my um, parents at the time were, were fighting and they were like, on their last ditch attempt for their marriage. And so they had this great idea. Let's just pack up everything and move to Israel and never come back. Uh, so we did, we packed up everything. Um, and then we moved to Israel, um, 19 hour flight, I think it was. Uh, I was 13, I was 12 and a half, I think. Uh, we get to Israel and within like two days of us being there, like it's a new, it's a new place, right? Like I went and explored, uh, cause it's cool. Israel's beautiful. Um, but I was young and I was confused and I was scared. Uh, and I wanted my grandmother who I hadn't seen in almost 10 years. Um, and so like within a, the, a week of us getting there, him, uh, my, my former stepdad and his father came and picked me up with a bag. Didn't tell me where we were going. And they dropped me off at a, what's called the yeshiva. It's a, it's an all male boarding school. Um, and they dropped me off there and like basically threw me to the wolves. They didn't stay with me to like get me acclimated. They were just like, here you go figure it out. You can't come home. Um, and so I was there for, I don't know, a few weeks. Uh, I got in a lot of fights all the time. Like I beat people up every day and uh, acted out and they, they just blamed it on me being this psycho kid, this American um, that didn't belong. Um, so that was like a theme. Um, that was even a theme for me just to kind of go back real quick in the elementary school I was at. Most of these kids were like the kids of rabbis or they were like actual European Jewish um, individuals and I was this Mexican kid from LA uh, that uh, was converted and everybody knew it. So like, I've, I've always been the outcast my whole life. Um, but to flash back forward, I was at this yeshiva and I, uh, I came up with this need to escape. I was like, I gotta get out of here. Um, but there were these gates and there was like a, not a security but there was like an office at the front and there was no way to do it. So I found this huge fire extinguisher and I literally, right when everyone was going to get uh, dinner in the chow hall, I let off this fire extinguisher on this back like alleyway and like smoked it out. And I jumped the fence and ran. Um, felt like I was in like some army movie, right? Um, and so I, I spent the next six hours or so at a bus stop uh, begging for a ride back uh, from, from what, the Israeli Greyhound. Um, I remember I, slept, I spent the night there essentially on a bench. Uh, and finally, one of the bus drivers saw that I was just a young kid that just wanted to get home and barely like knew where he was. And so he gave me a ride. Um, I spoke the language fluently at the time, um, so I was that helped me. Um, we got back to the house. Um, I got dropped off at the house, and my mom had she looked distraught, like she'd significantly lost weight. Um, she like they didn't tell her where I was. They just said, "Don't worry about it. Your son's fine." And so she doesn't know what happened to me, right? Like um, anyway, so that was rough for her. Um, and so quickly, like her motherly instinct was like, "Well, let's we need to get out of here because this is the, bad things are going to happen here. So let's get the kids and go." And so we tried to leave the country and uh, the Israeli government wouldn't let my brother and sister leave because of the lineage. The way it works in the Middle East is uh, wh whichever parent has the blood for the child, that parent has the say. And so the, um, my former stepdad was like, no, my kids aren't leaving, but you can send your son home. Uh, but my kids are staying here with me. And so they were trapped, right? And my mom didn't want to leave them behind. So she put me on a plane by myself. So now I was 13. I was on a plane, 19 hour flight, um, not knowing what I'm getting into, just knowing I'm going back to see my grandmother who I hadn't seen in so many years. Um, 
not knowing what my life was going to be like, what the rules were going to be like, when I was going to see my brother and sister again. Um, and that was, uh, I don't know, I don't remember like a whole lot about that flight, but looking back on it, I must have been really afraid. Um, I got to, I got back to America. Uh, my grandma picked me up and like that, um, my name dropped back to AJ. I didn't have to wear that thing on my head anymore. I didn't have to eat kosher. I never had to like obey the Sabbath. So this entire, again, this entire identity I created for the last 10 years that I was really, really like into um, because I was trying to make this man happy. Um, and, and, you know, there was even points during those 10 years that uh, he convinced me to hate my family, uh, my Christian family, um, because he wouldn't let me see them. And I believed him. I was like, yeah, they're terrible. They're terrible. And so I, I like, I've invested so much in this period of my life, this decade that overnight is done. And so we were in South Central LA, uh, well, South LA, uh, in a city called Gardena. We arrived. Uh, I didn't know who I was. Um, and I was surrounded by gang members. Uh, so naturally, I joined a gang. Like, why not? What else am I going to do? Grandma wanted me to go to church, which I did to make her happy. But like, I'm this young, angry boy that needed something. And I, I'm seeing these people outside that are violent and they're fighting and, and, and they're going through what I'm going through. At least that's what I thought. Um, and so I joined a gang uh, and it was hard. They made it really hard for me uh, because most of the, of the other members of my former gang were like, uh, grew up in it, right? They had sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins. Like they've been doing this their whole life. They were destined to do this. Uh, I'm a, I, I was this little Mexican white boy, right? Um, that used to be Jewish, but God forbid, I'll never tell him that because that's a, that's a whole nother can of worms. But I'm this new person that just moved to the neighborhood that no one's heard of, no one's going to vouch for. Like, but I want to step up. So they made me go really, really hard. They made me do, uh, they made me uh, go above and beyond to earn stripes. I mean, the neighborhood that I grew up in, or at least the neighborhood I was a, a young adult in, uh, age 14, we all had guns, right? Uh, they wouldn't let you use them because they don't know if you'd be down enough to use them, right? But all of a sudden you have four people come drop a gun in your lap and say, go run and hide it. Uh, you were expected to do it or they beat you up real bad. Um, and so that was kind of like the culture I, I immersed myself in um, from age 14. Uh, how, did you know, you, how, did, how did they, how did you have to earn your stripes? Just placing a gun or did you have to do worse stuff? No, they, so eventually you got to use it, Randall. That's the, that's the expectation in a, at least part of the neck of the woods that I'm from in LA. You got to, you got to shoot somebody. Uh, you got to earn your way in that way with blood. You know, there's no, uh, there's no stealing a motorcycle or carrying a gun or selling drugs. Like that may work for some gangs out here and, and that's okay. That's not my business, but like uh, people die really young where I was at all the time, all the time. And when you, when you joined a gang, is that when um, your using started? Was that kind of in that world? No, no. Like I was around it. Uh, the, other, the other thing is that like, the gang I was from was really mi militant. Right. And so like, while everyone probably did drugs on the low, it wasn't allowed. It wasn't like, you know, you get, you get, uh, uh, you get beat up for, for doing harder drugs. Um, so everyone drank and smoked weed. So I started drinking when I was barely 14, 13, I uh, started smoking weed the same year. Um, and I would just do, do that all the time. Um, I got into harder drugs when I was 16. I started, I needed money. Um, my family was kind of like, uh, not, not, aware of what I was doing, but they were done giving me handouts and I needed to make my own money. And so uh, I was uh, working construction and doing construction, I got exposed to cocaine. Um, and then uh, I would do cocaine on weekends, um, but that was it. And then I met a girl 
and uh, I got her pregnant um, with triplets actually. And uh, she was young. I was young. I think she was 14 and a half and I was 16. Um, and so like, who knows if her body could have even handled having three babies, but I wanted them because I thought, uh, you know, having a kid would take me away from the life. I all of a sudden grow up and be this, this mature man if I had children, which is ridiculous. Um, but that's what I thought. Um, and so I wanted her to have the babies, but she, she, uh, she ended up getting an abortion and it, it destroyed me. Um, and so then like a week later, I met a girl who sold meth. And so I started, started doing meth. And that's when that, that's how that went for the next three years. But it, from the, during the like next few years of me doing meth, uh, the crimes that I create, uh, the crimes I committed against persons became more often, uh, there was more often victims in my crimes, robbery. Uh, I used to rob people a lot. Um, and beat people up a lot. Um, and uh, I just became more angry. Um, and I started to develop this like mob mentality chip on my shoulder where everyone's supposed to be afraid of me uh, because I earned it, right? And I started earning tattoos and tattooing the back of my head when I was under 18, right? Like like going all out and really, really seeking attention. But I think underneath that, I just wanted to be loved, but but it was it was showing up in such a way that like, I just wanted to die because of the decisions that I were making, that I was making, the things I were, that I was doing, uh, I'm shocked to be standing here today. Um, so, uh, you know, I went to prison for the first time when I was 18 and a half uh, for an armed robbery. Um, I was drunk and at the beach and uh, the buddy I was with tried to rob somebody for cash and uh, they started fighting and then some good Samaritans tried to step in and stop him and I made them all lay on the ground. And then uh, one thing after another, it became an armed robbery situation with a high-speed chase for five miles uh, in Torrance, California. So uh, that I ended up my first uh, going to prison for the first time in 2009. Um, and from 2009 to 2015, no, 2008 to 2016, I was in and out of prison. Uh, you know, I got out of my first bid. AJ, was that all in California? I did all my time in California. I've done quite a bit of county time here in Utah. But uh, I did my state and federal prison time in California. How in the hell did you get from that to Salt Lake City, Utah, and doing <laughs> what you're doing now? So, uh, funny story. I actually found found my recovery here in Salt Lake. Uh, I was uh, evading a situation that happened in Los Angeles where I had sold drugs to an undercover cop. Um, and... Uh, I was on the run. And so I came to Utah because my mother had eventually come back to America. That's another part of my story, but she, she had come back when I was younger. She moved to Utah, invited for me to come with her, but I was loving the life I was living. So I turned her down, um, but she'd already been here for about 10 years or, or eight years. And so I, at age 23, I ran from, um, or age 22, I ran from California and came to Utah with a backpack. And my intention was to stay for a week or two, you know, eat some good food at my mom's house, and just kind of lay low, put my ears to the street and find out if anything came of that case uh, or not. Um, and uh, I got here and as soon, like my mom said I could come over, but she didn't tell her husband and her husband didn't condone my behavior or my lifestyle. And so as soon as I walked in the house, he was like, no, you have to go. And today I have a lot of respect for that man. Me and him actually have a really, really amazing relationship. But at that time, um, he was doing what he felt was best to protect his household and to set a boundary for me. And that was putting me out on the street. And so I had a backpack um, here in Utah, not knowing where to go. So I went to the extended stay. Uh, I was high on meth and heroin within like 24 hours, um, already making, or, you know, networking with people. Um, and within seven days I got caught with a firearm. 
uh, by Collin Heights police. They caught me with a firearm um, and I got indicted to a federal prison sentence. So they flew me from here back to California to do my federal time at, uh, at USP Victorville. That's how, that's how I ended up here, uh, Randall. Um, uh, I, I was never supposed to, you know, they have that saying, right? Like, come on vacation, leave on probation. That's literally what <laughs> happened to me. I came here and I got stuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I got out of federal prison, um, I couldn't leave Utah because I was on probation here. Um, so I, my grandma, during all this, um, her and I have had a codependent relationship and we work on it to this day. Um, I can say in my recovery that I'm an, I'm an independent man and I have my own family. Um, and my grandmother and I have learned to heal those wounds. But back then she let me, she enabled me to do so much and I took advantage of her uh, equally. And so while I was in federal prison, she decided to move to Utah uh, so that I would have a place to parole to. Um, so I got out um, in 2015 and I was in Ogden. I was high the night I got out because why not? It's what I've always done. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing, no reason not to. Um, by this point, I was already using IV drugs. Uh, I started using IV drugs in 2010 in the state penitentiary. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I went hard as soon as I got to Ogden. Uh, I met another girl um, in treatment. I was at an outpatient class one day for, 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 the, for probation. And I met a girl and we started getting high together and we started hooking up and she got pregnant. Um, and that was probably the darkest nine months of my life because she, she was an IV drug user and she refused to stop using. Um, and I didn't stop using, but I went on this like savior trip where I, I needed to like spend all my waking hours minimizing how much she can use and wa watching, watching her and beating up her drug dealers and, and not letting her get more drugs. And if I found drugs, I'd take them and I'd do them, which was okay for me to do, but <laughs> she couldn't do them. So I was really sick. You know, it was a really dark part of my life. Um, and we had a really toxic relationship. Uh, she was physically violent with me and, uh, you know, it was just, it was a dark, dark place. Uh, my daughter ended up being born, uh, like eight weeks early and spent the, uh, the next month, I think in the NICU. Um, she was tiny. Uh, she was high. Uh, the levels of, of, of the cutoff levels they found in her hair was like 4,000, uh, for methamphetamine, which is an astronomical number. Um, and DCFS got involved. And that's what got me to Odyssey, you know? Um, I wanted to, I, I wanted, you know, and to go back to that thing I said, like I thought having a kid would make me not get high anymore, right? And so like, while I was on this savior trip um, and, and minimizing how much she was using, I was creating this plan for myself to taper off, which no real addict can do. I'm sorry, I don't, I, not as much drugs as I was doing. It's not realistic. It's not my lifestyle, but uh, I was gonna taper off. And by the time the baby was born, I was gonna be done and I'd be ready to be a dad. However, the baby came eight weeks early. And with that, I was doing a shot of meth inside the hospital room uh, while she was being delivered. Like, so I don't, I don't remember it. I remember her birth, but I don't remember the emotions I felt because I was high, you know? Um, DCFS got involved. I landed in Odyssey and, and I, the, my first round through Odyssey, I, I think it was uh, more for the state and for DCFS and not for me. I was doing it for other people. I still picked up a lot of tools and I learned a lot of things. Um, while I was here, I love this program. I love this house so much. Um, but I can honestly say my first go around was, uh, was me doing it for other people. And, and in so doing, I rushed through the program within a year. Um, I think just, it took me just about 12 months. And, uh, uh, the, you know, the reason I had to get out quick was because of my DCFS case was going to close. I needed to prove that I could be stable and have housing for my daughter, or I was going to lose custody. And I created this scenario where like, I needed to go do this 
So help me meet my needs is what I was telling my, my therapist. And uh, I mean, he, he let me go. Uh, I left Odyssey in April, 2017. Um, I had my final hearing uh, for my child custody uh, that, that early fall. And I walked into the hearing and my, my kid's mom this entire time had been in and out of prison, uh, still using drugs. She hadn't participated in, in the DCFS services. And so we get there and I've got my letter from Odyssey and I'm, I'm thicker and strong and you know healthy, I should say. And we walk in there and I have my daughter at the time, she's living with me full time. And we walk in there and the guardian ad litem, which is the attorney for the baby, um, excuse me, DCFS, um, DCFS supervisor, and I think the district attorney, every single person unanimously said that I should have full custody as the father and that the mother's rights should be terminated. Um, just based on like how we did our services. And the judge looked at me and said, you know what? I agree with them. However, uh, due to new statutes, I cannot terminate her rights and not yours. So either both of you lose your rights or neither of you loses your rights. And I was like, so what does that mean? I mean, regardless of all the things that she hasn't done to prove that she wants to be a mother, what does that mean if we both have custody? He said, you'd have to give her visitation. And that means overnight weekends. And I was like, so I, I, I lost my shit and I, uh, you know, I, I started creating a case. Now, already in that moment, in the courtroom, I knew I was going to go relapse to punish myself and to punish her and ultimately to punish my daughter who didn't deserve it, right? But I was like, I, I got so wrapped up in my resentment and I didn't use my tools and go check in or, or you know, um, process with someone or reach out for support. I just sat there and I stewed on the fact that I had done everything that I needed to do and she had done nothing. So there, there's the injustice of it all. So now I'm going to go get high. So I relapsed. I got high uh, one day and the uh, DCFS took away my daughter and terminated my rights immediately. Um, so AJ, uh, going from all of that trauma, um, identity, you know, the gang relations and stuff to today, now you, you've had five girls, yeah. right? Like the father of five girls. Like how is it for you today? You well, know, actually I actually have like, seven. You, you know, you have some powerful sperm. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore, man. I got I got fixed. I'm done with that. <laughs> Best fifty dollars I ever spent. Best copay I ever spent. Um, I lost custody of, of patients, my firstborn, um, and then uh, and then her sister. I lost custody of them too. They're with my aunt in Idaho, so I still see them. Uh, I, there's an open relationship, but um, I let them parent. I don't try to, you know. Um, it, it's, it's finalized. Like I'm not going to get them back until they're adults and they want to come back. And then my wife and I have five kids, uh, four of which are my stepdaughters. And then uh, we have one baby together. Um, so I do have five daughters in the home. And, and we've only got about two minutes left. You are now, you, you went through a wonderful program that we all love, uh, the, the, the bakery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and now you're at Odyssey House doing what? I'm the support staff supervisor over a uh, lighthouse and annex facilities. So uh, I also run the upper house group. So I deal with uh, the navigators and discoveries, the clients that are on their way out of treatment. I facilitate their groups three times a week uh, while also, uh, you know, hiring and, and uh, maintaining a part-time staff schedule and also a little bit of everything. Okay. I should have used the name flourish bakery. We're going to, we're going to focus one of our podcasts on that, but that, that helped you with your recovery as well. I'm sure. Yeah, they're an amazing program. I got, I got the tattoo, man. You know, that's a part of me that's never going to go away. Uh, I have tons of good things to say about them. 
Um, and I, I look forward to hearing your podcast with them. You know, your story, I, I'm, we're, we're sitting there listening this the whole thing of, about a Jewish stepfather and going to Israel and escaping and flying back by yourself at age 13. And it, it's like a movie, you know? Yeah, it'd probably be a good one or a good book. It really would. Why don't you write one? Yeah, so I've got to finish my statement of change first. <laughs> I'm working on an assignment right now. I'm, I'm about a week away from being done to uh, come back to Odyssey House, present it to receive my actual uh, graduate status. Super. And, so. and for people who don't understand Odyssey or how everything works, uh, somebody with a story like yours and a background with yours uh, is, is so powerful with people who are new to recovery. Can you, can you sort of describe that process briefly? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I think, you know, it's, it's about reaching out to the newcomers as they come in, identifying what their struggle is and like, and, and not being above or below, but getting on the same level. I think, uh, you know, stepping into that client's shoes um, and remembering that I was there too, you know, that I, I've been there, to maybe not exactly the same story as theirs, but I have a story too. And ultimately both of our stories landed us here in Odyssey House and I went through Odyssey House. So I have something to offer. Um, that's, the, that's the perspective I always try to take is, is stepping into their shoe or their other shoe and right? being in the same playing field, I think is the most crucial piece of empathy you can give uh, to a, a newcomer coming into the program. Let's close with one thought from you. But if, you for, if, there is a, if there is somebody out there who is, who is dealing with addiction watching this, why should they come in to, not Odyssey necessarily, but why should they get help? My, how do I, I, mean, I wanna make sure I say this right. My worst day in recovery, my worst day today alive sober is astronomically a million times better than my best day with drugs, guns, women, uh, like the, the whole life, the, that, that entire life, like, when I was at, at my top, when I thought I was in, in, indestructible and everyone knew me and everyone wanted to be with me um, and everything was at the tip of my fingertips, my worst day today is still better than, than those days. It gets better. Boy, is that well, yeah. is that well yeah. put. Thank you so much, AJ Colette. He is coming to a, a, a novel or a movie nearby sometime in the next <laughs> five, 10 years. I mean, it's a great story. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing. What do you, yeah, I, you had a look on your face, Rachel, and I did too. It's sort of like, what? <laughs> I think it's incredible, AJ. I think that you set um, a presidence, right? Like you were a baker, you're a father of five, seven, excuse me, you're a father of seven. You have, um, you're in a supervisor position and you had the courage to stand tall, to go back to graduate and complete something that you originally started. And so thank you for being able to be that leader on the show and say, hey, you can change your life around or you can lose your identity, but then you can create your own identity and what is better for you. you know? And so I really value and appreciate that. You're, you are a, an amazing man, AJ, and it's been my pleasure to get to know you over the years. So thank you very much. And thank you for watching another edition of our 73rd podcast of Odyssey House Journal. So we'll see you again next week.